Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specially designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode, I sit down with my friend Tyler Hauger. Tyler works for the Karabu Foundation in Oslo, Norway. He's one of my best friends in the entire world. And he's really smart and has so many great things to share with us. Uh, He works specifically doing peace and justice work uh, through this foundation all throughout the world. And he's got a lot to share with us. There's a lot of really cool things that go on in this conversation. We talk about vocation a little bit and what it means to be led along by God into meaningful work. We talk about how peace and justice overlap and how that's a really essential part of our Christian calling and about care for the other is at the heart of what it means to live out our faith. Uh, We talk about a whole bunch of other things too. It's a really good conversation. I hope you love it because I loved creating it and spending the time with Tyler. Uh, As always, thanks for listening to this podcast, for making it a part of your routine. Thanks for the kind comments that you email me or tell me when you see me in church, things like that. And yeah, share it with your friends. The more, the merrier. Um, I'm very excited for other interviews we've got coming up. But now let's get to this one, shall we? Here is an interview with my friend, Tyler Hauger. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode of Together for Good. I have on the line, all the way from Oslo, Norway, one of my best friends in the entire world, Tyler Hauger. And Hello. Um, I'm so excited, Tyler. I can't believe you're here. Technology is wonderful. Um, what time Fantastic. is it there? What time is it, it like? It is 8 p.m., but since we're in Norway, it looks like it's about 12 noon because the days are so long now. Oh, that's right. But then you get the bad side of that in the winter when you have like sunlight from 10 till 3, right? We don't we don't talk about that part. We just talk about the, <laughs> the beautiful summer months. The beautiful so, southern months. Yeah. Um, well, so it's so cool that we were able to make this work, that we found a way for our schedules to coincide despite the huge time difference and the geography. Um, and I'm so excited to have you on uh, to talk about oh, the really good, important work that you do. Uh, but first, before we get into any of that, um, we need to allow the listeners to just know a little bit about how you and I know each other. I'll start by saying, Tyler, of all the men I know, you are the best. Because <laughs> you were the best man in my wedding. That's um, true. Which was, my gosh, uh, I should know this, 12 years 12 ago 12 years now? ago. It was 12 years ago. Yeah. Was, I'm glad you know that. Thank you. That's my job. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, why don't you, I'll let you talk. Tell, I mean, let the listeners know how we know each other. And, and yeah. just, like, tell us a little bit about yourself, too. Absolutely. Well, I mean, um, I am originally from North Dakota, so I grew up on the prairie. Um, and I was pretty actively involved in ELCA youth ministries, both uh, synod-wide in North Dakota, but also nationally, church-wide, and also internationally. And that is where Pastor Nate and my stories crossed, is you and I, Nate, were we worked together on the uh, national boards of the ELCA, the youth boards. Yes, and, we did. Uh, and you and I had close uh, minds meet from when we were 16 and from there we were college roommates so that's uh that's where we started the origins the uh, the origin story i believe it was during like a get to know you game at some sort of lutheran oh it was the the convention i believe when we walked into each other and you were Tyler from North Dakota, and I was Nate from New Nate York. From New York, yeah. And and the rest is history, as the they say. The rest is history. Yes, yeah. so we have a long, a long history, Nate. So it's very good to be with you here now. 
Yeah, and and so you went to St. Olaf just like I did. Good I school, did, yeah. good Vegas. good Lutheran school there in uh, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And if I remember, you were a religion and poli sci major, correct? That's did you? correct. Yeah. Okay, I got it right. And so that's kind of led you along the way. Tell us a little bit more about you know going from the farmlands or the 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 prairies of yeah. North Dakota, beautiful yeah. North Dakota, and beautiful. then um, you you study religion and political science in college. And then you had a super cool like experience for your first year out of college, I remember. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, for me, I was always interested in sort of where the, the lines between religion and people's faith traditions and, and politics meet. But I wasn't really ever interested in sort of the party political things that we see so often in, in the U.S. I was sort of interested in more stru- structures and systems. Um, and where um, structures keep people in poverty and where systems keep people discluded from, from the conversation and where does this meet up with religion. So, so that sort of religion background, as I called it at the time, called mm-hmm. political science of religion, um, was a really great entry point into to getting a little bit of, uh, of a start in these type of, of questions. So that was um, the, the years at St. Olaf. Um, I afterwards um, moved from the prairie, as they say, to, to Palestine and Israel. So directly out of college, I took an internship with the Lutheran World Federation. So the, the Lutheran Church's uh, global development arm, working with Palestinian refugees um, in the West Bank and in, in Israel. And, uh, and I spent over a year there um, really immersed in where you you see systems yeah. of power and uh, and oppression and pain and joy all meeting at the same exact place, all in the name of religion sometimes. Yeah, so it, it's a, it's an interesting uh, mixing point, can you say? No kidding. And I mean, obviously, this is something that's been in the news a lot lately with the yeah. the, the brief war uh, recently between Palestine and Israel, and that yeah. is what I what I always say is I'm like that is a very complicated situation. Um, and yeah. anyone that tries to just, to, you know, to, to tell it to you in black and white is missing, hundred, you know, decades of nuance in terms of how this all got started. And, and, and I don't need you to go into all the details on that, um, but I will just allow you to say a, a little bit more about maybe what some of the things that you learned, because um, I'm sure you went into that internship with certain preconceptions and ideas about what your work would be and what it entailed. And I'm sure living yeah. there in the Holy Land for a full year. By the way, after college, I went to Buffalo, New York. So I don't know who got the better end of that deal. Um, <laughs> Buffalo is a lovely place as well. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very inexpensive. Um, <laughs> so, but tell us more about, yeah. uh, you know, just any uh, observations. And again, like, I know you could probably talk for hours about this, but maybe some things that might be of interest to our listeners. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think, I think the first thing I can say is it is a complicated place because, as I said, it's a place where politics and religion and theology and world history and global power politics all meet at the same place. And it's where uh, tax money from different countries support systems that keep people um, in, in poverty and oppression and in other places wow. where people's theology uh, keep people in, in systems of of uh, cycles of violence. So it's, it's a really complex place. At the same time, it's one of the more, most um, exciting, beautiful, joyous places where people have a lot of hope on both sides that, that we can find solutions together. Um, but I think I went in there with sort of a, a very naive approach that peace is easy. Um, it's just all mm. finding a common ground. 
But I think um, I, I, I did my master's research on Israel and Palestine. And, um, and I remember I was talking to a rabbi, an Israeli rabbi, who was talking about peace and dialogue processes in Israel and Palestine. And he said, you know, so often we talk about, we just want to talk about faith. We just want to talk about religion. So in these interfaith dialogues between Muslims and Christians, Jews, let's talk about um, what, let me, let me talk about Ramadan. Let me talk about Hanukkah. Let me talk about Christmas. Let's talk about those things. That's what keeps us together. Um, but but the, the rabbi said to me, well, imagine if you're sitting at a, at a conversation table and me, the rabbi, my, my chair is on your toe and you're a Palestinian Christian. And, and the whole time I'm saying, you know, let's talk about Christmas. But me as a Palestinian Christian, I'm saying, well, your, your chair's on my toe. This is really hurting me. I can't talk about these traditions, these faith things until you move the chair because it's hurting my toe. Mm. So I think that that's, that's what surprised me along the way is, is um, I think peace is more complex because it has to do with making systems that are equal and systems that include everyone not not put pain or exclude people. Yeah, and I'm. It's funny. That's a great analogy. It's very reminiscent too of um, when Jesus says you have to remove the log in your own eye before you can take the speck out of someone else's. Mm. Um, and and it's you know like it's just kind of taking that a step further to say if real substantive dialogue is going to happen, um, you have to yeah edit some of the systems to remove the inequality. And yeah. the, the pain and the struggle that's happening there. That's fascinating. Or at the very least, you can't pretend like the inequality doesn't exist. And I think, I think that's something that the, the U.S. has learned um, as the Black Lives Matter movement has, has become mm-hmm. something that so many people can, can stand for and, and relate to, is you have to name the inequality. And if you're not naming the inequality, you can't really take a step forward. So I think that also relates to, um, to some of the experiences mm-hmm. I had in, in Israel and Palestine back in that year. Absolutely. Well, and so at, then after that year, you end up moving to Norway, correct? You moved directly. Yeah, a, a quite different place than uh, than the Holy Land. <laughs> correct. A quite different place. Correct. That's, that's right. Hmm. And what, what was the compelling factor that made you move to Norway? I think I have an idea, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, well, I can I can start with the long history and say that my mother still speaks Norwegian and my grandparents still speak Norwegian, so the tradition is very strong. But in my case, it was a lovely uh, fiance, my my soon to be wife. I followed her to Norway afterwards, who is a Norwegian citizen. Correct. Who you so met I followed my followed my heart to yes. Norway. You followed your heart to Norway, and <laughs> and Yelm is just the best, and yeah, very impressive. She's going to be on the podcast too because she has all sorts of wisdom. Um, you, you made a good move, Tyler, all the way to Norway. Um, yeah. But I'm but all this experience of Israel Palestine, living there, seeing the conflict and the injustice, um, mm. the passion that you developed while studying in your undergrad, mm. you know, all of these are pieces of your story that then yeah. kind of lead you to the caribou foundation correct you you have been working with them for seven years yeah now i've been i've now it's been a decade i've been working there for 10 years that's oh my right gosh. So, okay so i'm so i'm working with um the the caribou foundation and we it's a private norwegian foundation that provides grants to uh, different human rights organizations different civil society organizations in the global south and when i talk about the global south um, that's meaning Africa, Latin America, Middle East, and Asia. It has uh, the term global south has a historical and a power analysis built in and sort of the, the old colonial histories and the countries that were once colonialized. 
And so we, uh, I, I, we provide grants to movements that are trying to make the world a better place by looking at the systems around us. And I've been there for 10 years now. So time really flies by. Yeah. And what led you, I, I would just love to hear a little bit about what led you to pursuing that job opportunity when you yeah. arrived in Norway. Yeah, I mean, I, I moved to a country that has uh, values that really speak to, to my values. Um, it's a country that's really built on economic justice, on gender justice, on social justice. Um, Norway is not perfect by any means, but the, the systems that it's built up are, are ones that try to ensure that everyone has equal rights. And so that tradition is very strong here. Um, and, and Karibu is, is one of the few Norwegian private foundations that's really providing funds to, to movements that are trying to do that on a global level in some way, shape or form. Um, I was super intrigued by this. It, uh, it works with both um, faith-based groups, so Christian, um, Jewish, Muslim groups, but also completely secular groups, all saying, what do we need to do to, to make a world a better place because another world is possible um it, it's the other world that we're, we're working for is there how what do we have to do to make that happen and uh and i was really inspired by the movements on the ground in in argentina in palestine in south africa and ecuador that were doing small and big moves to make the world a better place and it really spoke to me and it was really exciting um so I'm, I'm very fortunate to get to know these movements um, and hear their stories on a daily basis. Yeah, what I love about what you're saying, too, is how who you are uh, and how you understand yourself and your values. Right, We're seeing all the pieces of your story and how it's led you to this work. And that's just really good vocational theology to use nerdy terms to go along with it. <laughs> but that you 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 grew up in a household and with grandparents who who spoke Norwegian, right? Like this is a mm. big part of who you are. Mm. And then you um, end up in Norway just because love brought you there. Um, <laughs> but your experiences in Israel and Palestine and studying political science and religion, all of these are little pieces and breadcrumbs along the way um, that lead you to working with this organization that does peace and justice work throughout the world that um, pulls upon your sense of instilling, you know, like, you know, living out the best of what your, your homeland has to offer, right? There's so much cool stuff that mm. I, I hope you realize and recognize um, about your story that is just really beautiful the way all of the, the parts kind of weave together there. Um, well, it's funny. I mean, it's funny. We, you, we started the conversation saying, you know, where did you and I meet, Nate, and, and where, where do we come from? Um, and it, it's, it's funny, these, the, the vocation stories, these vocational origin stories, you might think that it's an obvious, these, these steps are obvious, these breadcrumbs are obvious, and this is where we would all end up. But it really, it's like pulling on a string of a sweater, and you don't know where it's going, and you just keep pulling, and you're interested in the next thing, and you keep pulling the string, and it leads you somewhere else, and it leads you somewhere else. And it's, it's also trusting that you're, the plan you have doesn't always work out, and that's uh, not a bad thing. It sometimes takes you to places you never would have imagined, and, and lets you meet people that you never would have got the chance to meet if you hadn't followed those breadcrumbs. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, too, how you don't really notice the breadcrumbs until you view the story in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of the things that you experienced along the way didn't feel like the next logical step necessarily. But now as you look at the bigger narrative, it's like, oh, look at that. Like, that's <laughs> kind of cool how it all worked out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, so t talk to me then a little bit more about your sense 
I, I know what also played into this. You were a religion major. You and I met doing, you know, ELCA youth stuff because we love the church and our faith was really important to us growing up. And I know yeah. that, that that's a part of um, why you do this work too, which is part mm. of why I wanted to bring you on. So, so talk to us just a little bit about how you've come to understand it. I know there was a book that was really important to you too. Um, yeah, so so, like so it's it's interesting because I mean, I like I said, I grew up in rural North Dakota, and these these questions of global justice were not necessarily the ones that we engaged on a daily basis. Um, I, there's a lot of exciting things happening in in rural communities, without a doubt. I mean, I've been listening to great podcasts about rural uh, communities sort of rising and and the beautiful things coming out of it. But the the global justice questions were not a the heart of my childhood. It was not the heart of of what uh, engaged me, um, but I think, but I, I think, growing up in a rural place, you you have a real sense of community. You have a sense of looking out for each other more than just me and my small family. Um, and I think on the global level, you have to do that as well. And that and that includes sort of our our own theologies. Um, mm -hmm. I about ten years ago read a really exciting book um, that that really allowed me to to put my thoughts and theologies in in a, in a language. That makes sense to me, and it was a book called "The Whole, The Whole in Our Gospel," H O L E, um, the whole, the, the missing part of our gospel, and it was by a, a man called Richard Stearns, who was the head of a, 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 a um, humanitarian organization called World Vision, and it's really talking about how, when we look at the gospel, one thing that we always forget about is the the, the social justice story of the Bible and the story of of preaching to the poor and the oppressed and those on the margins and saying that too often we go through the routines of just going to church, reading the Bible, talking to each other about small devotionals without looking at what can we actually do um, to, to address issues of oppression, marginalization, and injustice. So this book really gave me a language um, to talk about these things in a new way. And then mm -hmm. another book that I really, I've really appreciated along the way is a, is a book by one of my personal heroes, Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa. Um, and, and for your, your listeners, I'm sure it's a name that, that they know, uh, the anti-apartheid hero, um, mm -hmm. Angus, Angus Ken Bishop. Um, he wrote, there's a book called God is not a Christian and it's about speaking truth in times of crisis and the idea that if we stay just in our own Christian bubbles sometimes we miss the opportunity to work collaboratively across borders to to stop injustice that we need to be able to uh, hold hands and work together to do this and I think that's that's really where where I'm at to now theologically is uh, is we really need to find ways to reach out across our barriers to, to address big issues, because these are huge issues. Poverty is a huge issue, injustice, huge issue. And we need to find solutions together, um, of, regardless of our faith tradition. But, but we have a special responsibility as, as Christians, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the whole in our gospel, I haven't read that particular book, but I, I've read some other similar ones. And it really mm. is startling and groundbreaking once you put those glasses on of saying, yeah, God cares about the, those people who are oppressed, those people mm. who are vulnerable. And then you just start reading through the Bible and you're like, wait a second, like this is everywhere. Yeah. Um, the, the chosen people were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and God heard their cries and brought them to freedom. Uh, mm. And then God says again and again, it's so often articulated um, God reminds the Israelites, says, I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. And so therefore, you should care for the orphan and the widow. 
you should welcome the immigrant and, you know, those beyond your borders. And then you look at Jesus, who kind of takes it a step further and is constantly going to the lands and the areas where there weren't, you know, the, the, the not accepted people were, uh, whether it was talking with prostitutes or with lepers or just healing people who were sick or just going into the Gentile regions to teach and preach and perform miracles. It was always this like expanding and that's always what got him into trouble. The high priest like, wait, you can't do that. Like that's, that doesn't fit within the box. Um, (laughs) And Jesus kind of like, no, like I think you need a new box. Um, (laughs) But it's really, it was really, I had a similar experience and I can't remember the book. I think I read God of the oppressed Mm. um, by James Cone. Um, who's a famous modern day uh, theologian used to just died a few years ago, taught at union seminary in New York. Um, And just opening your eyes to see once you have those lenses, it's, it's suddenly everywhere. And it feels like every reading um, on a Sunday morning somehow references, Oh, by the way, like care about people who are on the downside, care about the vulnerable, care about the oppressed. Uh, That's your work as a Christian. Uh, And it's really fascinating. I think too, you know, the, the, the encounter with human suffering, whether that's very local in your own communities or on a global level, it requires us to act. It requires us to move out of our comfort zone and to challenge why this is happening. And I think that's what you see also in, in the gospel texts that you're talking about, Nate, is, is that it's, uh, it's challenging the structures. It's not just charity. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not just giving money to try to make the situation a little bit better. It's to, to challenge the, the root causes. And I think that's uh, that's really something that we should take with us along the way. I don't know who said it originally or where this quip comes from, but I've heard it said that the, the work of the gospel is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and I think that's very powerful and profound is to recognize that when we feel really comfortable and that we're in a place of privilege, that it sometimes can be the Holy Spirit calling us to use that privilege, use those resources to care for those um, who are without. Absolutely. So the only one thing I do want to pick up on, just because you mentioned it, I liked how you, uh, your mention of your North Dakota upbringing and Mm. smaller towns and really caring for each other and looking out for the neighbor. You you did that on a micro level and now Mm. it's just expanded to a macro sense. Uh, Yeah. And I'll just mention to our listeners, but within a week of Tyler and I arriving on the St. Olaf campus, <laughs> Tyler knew every single person who was from North Dakota. I know that that was a really big deal. And then that if, you know, I was supposed to suddenly like this person that you had met because they were from North Dakota, even though I had no connection to the place other than you. But you know. really, <laughs> really, and every time I meet someone from North Dakota, that they, they love North Dakota and they love people from North Dakota. Um, and that's just such an important piece of the puzzle. Um, you so know, the, the irony is, you know, the irony is now I live in, in Norway and it's, it's very similar. You, you find out who else is from Norway and you find out who they know and quickly you realize you're related in some way. Is it? So it's, it's similar. <laughs> beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Well, and that, that's just the, the work of it, right? Like caring for uh, your fellow human beings and caring about someone else as much as you care about yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus famously well, said. Exactly that. And I think it's also, it's a matter of, uh, you know, in, in our 
the work that we do on a daily basis, it's, it's very easy to love someone who has the same politics as you or love someone who has the same color skin or love someone who lives in the same state or love someone who has something in common with you. But it, it demands a lot more of the human creativity and, and human soul to, to love people that don't look like you or love people that come from a completely different background. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that all of us should take with us on a daily basis is how can we proactively work to, to love the people around us that don't share the same things as we do um, and, and who deserve the exact same equal rights regardless of what they look like or what kind of background they come from. So I think that's one thing we can all continue to do. And I think the piece that can really help with having compassion for those who are very different than us um, is to recognize, as we've been talking about, how a person's life is, a, is the culmination of an entire long story that's been mm. written for years and years. And there's so much that plays into who you know who you are today tyler who i am today Mm. and it's the result of thousands of experiences yeah and i'm blessed to have had the experiences that i did and i you know i had such a great loving childhood Mm. and you know like there's so many pieces that i that i just take for granted and then recognizing someone arrives at a completely different viewpoint not because they're a bad person but because they had different experiences yeah. And th- th- I recently read a book that talks about how, oh gosh, and I shouldn't even quote it because I don't remember the exact statistics, but um, people who are incarcerated in the United States tend to score off the charts on the adverse childhood experiences scale. Like they have this measure of how many adverse childhood experiences have you had, traumatic experiences as a child. Right. And if you score a five out of 10 or higher, there's a huge chance that you will end up incarcerated. So it just, it really underlines and illustrates that point that, that we are the product of our experiences and some, yeah, sometimes people end up in jail because yes, they made bad decisions, but also because of all of the things that came before that. Um, And, and that's just, for me, that's been a very helpful perspective for developing compassion for other people. Uh, You know, even people who, who haven't had really difficult childhoods or anything else, but just wind up, politically in a totally different space than me rather than just say like oh they're an idiot i can't stand them to try and think about like okay but how did they arrive here what what were the you know what what brought them to this point in this opinion where can i find respect and and common understanding too because oftentimes especially in america here we just want to put on our jerseys and argue for our team whether that's the left or the right and if we can you know learn to not just fall into simple categories but to try and get below the surface to say no no like what do we we're trying to build a better nation here what does that look like how can we do that and that's where the real conversation can happen so it all leads back to it that was a long uh soliloquy from me you're welcome uh (laughs) (laughs) it does bring me to a question that i wanted to ask you about i know that in your work with your foundation that you're really specific about letting the people on the ground kind of lead the day because it's right it's their experience that's why i'm talking about all this other stuff their experience is vitally important for what's happening so can you just say a little bit more about that 
fundamental yeah. principle you operate under? Absolutely. That's uh, thanks for for asking that question. I mean, I think anytime you see um, uh, movements to to challenge violence, to challenge injustice, to challenge poverty, um, it, they're they're complex issues. I mean, they are very complex issues, like we talked about at the beginning. But one principle that we really work by, and one principle that I've personally had a transformation process myself as a as a um, as a white male living in one of the world's most rich countries is how do you work with with communities that are really struggling and you want to have an impact and the, the, the principle we live by or work by is, is often what I call nothing about us without us um, the idea that those who are oppressed those that are struggling for most just world, world need to be the ones that are setting the agenda and need to be the ones that we, we stand together with. Um, so, so their voices need to be at the table. So in all the work that we're doing, we're consistently checking in saying nothing about us without us. You know, are we going to do advocacy work um, on behalf of movements in Ecuador who have had their rainforest community destroyed by oil spills? We can do advocacies. That's great. That's important. We need to speak out against this. There, there's a lot of voiceless communities, but sim simultaneously, the voices of those people are there. And by saying nothing about us without us, you're saying you and I are linking arms together, and you're helping set the agenda, or you're leading the way, and I'm I'm walking alongside you. So that nothing about us without us, I think, is a is a really easier way, or at least at the very least, it's a it's a way for us to approach very complex social justice issues, saying. What are the communities? What are the movements that are affected? What are they saying? And what are their what are their I don't want to say demands, but what are their needs? What are their what are the things that need to be changed? And and we need to listen to those communities. So again, nothing about us without us is something that I've I've worked by and on a personal level I'm continually doing my very best to live by. Yeah, and it's a real change of perspective too. I mean yeah. Because it also stems from, it's a very, very valuable, and it stems from being the the rich nation just coming in to say, here's how you're supposed to do things. Yeah. And when you include the other people at the table, it totally changes the entire dynamics of it. Because frankly, rich country coming in and telling another country how to do things is colonization. That That's that exactly how it played out 500 right. years ago is that, you know, all those European countries went out and claimed the land for themselves and tried to tell the native people in what, wherever they landed how they should be living and what their life should be like. And that was very destructive and really did a lot of violence to the, the history of these um, communities that, that it didn't even get preserved. It's one of the things that I really gives me a lot of sadness, too, is just thinking about how that approach has allowed us to lose so much wisdom and knowledge from other communities from the past but it, what i love about what, you, what you're doing too is flipping that on its head because it will create better and probably longer lasting yeah. effects in the areas too i would imagine because it's well, think... really stemming up from the individuals themselves who live there each and every day you know at the end of the exactly. day you go back to oslo and you know you have no idea what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis necessarily uh, yeah. So, well, sorry, and I, I remember. No, I remember. I, I traveled to Iraq a few few years back, and we're working with with communities who were were living with the aftermath of of war um, and military occupation for years and years and years. And you hear these immense stories of 
of what happens, what has happened, both pain and joy from uh, from families in Iraq. And then the next day I return back to, to, to Oslo, to the comfort of my own home and figure out what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with that? And I think it's really important, again, to turn this upside down and say the work that we're doing is not charity. It's, it's just challenging injustice. And it's really looking at root causes so that when I come back, one thing I have to do is to say, well, what are the root causes here? What can I change? And I just want to uh, sort of anecdotally, I, I know a lot of the movements that we work with in Africa, Latin America, Asia, Middle East, um, they often quote a uh, indigenous Australian woman called Lila Watson, um, who, who says, if, you, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come here because your liberation is bound up with mine, let's work together. And in that sense, it flips all this on its head again, saying that your liberation is my liberation. This is not a pie where we're all trying to get all the resources, but, but your rights are my rights and we need to work together so we all ensure these rights. And I think that's, that's the, one of the lessons I've learned from the movements in the Global South that we're working with is this cannot be a charity case. This has to be solidarity. This has to be our liberation is bound up together. The liberation of the human community is bound up together. It's amazing. Thank you for sharing that quote and in the ways that it challenges us to to think about to move outside ourselves because it really is a very Christian calling as well. The sermon I preached on Sunday for Pentecost to dealt with the fact that the the term for Jesus says also in the advocate and there's this Greek word paraclete that is the Greek form of advocate and it means to be with and to call out. And how that's really the work of the Holy Spirit is, yes, to be with us, to give us some comfort and reassurance when things are really difficult, but also to call us out so that other people can share in this joy, in this liberation. Mm. And that's exactly what happened on Pentecost Sunday is that those who had lived and walked with Jesus and been his disciples were then sent out to proclaim it, you know, this good news, this new life possible. Um, And so their liberation led them and compelled them to work for the liberation and the salvation of those gathered in Jerusalem that day. Mm. It's, it's all the Christian story, exactly what you're talking about. And, and the moment that we make it just about ourselves uh, is when we miss the point. <laughs> we miss the point. <laughs> we totally exactly. miss the point. Wow. Super, Tyler, you're so smart. This is so fun. <laughs> we should, well, it's we should wrap it up, but I should bring <laughs> you on again because you're just a delight to talk to. And the, I mean, thank you for the work you're doing. Um, and for the ways oh that you've Christ. challenged us with, uh, with these ideas and these insights. Uh, and thanks for being my friend for, wow, how many years has it been now? 20, <laughs> 20 years. Thanks for being my friend for 20 years. It's, it's more than more than a pleasure. It's a it's a responsibility and a privilege I can say. So. A responsibility. Uh, and, yes, you are responsible for me a lot of the it's time. It's a joy. It's a joy. No, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. And then I am I'm excited to come visit you all one day. I have now two brothers that have moved to Denver. So I guess I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna have my both best friend and and brothers in Denver. I guess that's a, you. You're you're all pulling me in that direction one day. Yeah, you know? there's a guest room waiting for you. <laughs> there's a guest room waiting for you. All right. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Listeners, thanks for, thanks for sticking with us and uh, being a part of this. Stay in peace, everyone.